Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah, and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-ladhin as-tafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatimi l-anbiya. Wa ala alihi l-askiya wa ashabihi l-atqiya. Amma ba'd. As a part of the discussion of Imam Al-Mawardi rahimahullahu ta'ala in which Imam Mawardi was pointing out how there are certain traits of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that allowed him to be a complete human being resulting in him being an amazing teacher. We discussed how there were certain traits that related directly to the person of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam then there were those that related to the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and as we were going through the characteristics of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and those special traits we stopped in our previous class i believe after completing point number 4 out of 6 so we have two left and then we'll transition into the next part which is the aqwal of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the unique aspect of the speech of the prophet of allah Yes, go ahead. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Fifth attribute, his forbearance and dignified bearing when faced with provocative recklessness and foolishness. He was most forbearing and calm in dispute. So when a teacher is uh, interacting with an array of students, people from all walks of life, and it's a revolving door, someone comes, someone goes, you are bound to meet people with different personalities. You may have one or two people that have amazing adab and have very good character, but then you'll also meet people who lack in adab and have bad character. It's easier to interact with people who show you love and show you mahabba, but it really boils down to how you interact with people who don't show you that love and don't show you that mahabba. It's easy for you to walk away from them because I don't need you. You need me. You're not, you know, up to par, so I'm just going to leave you aside. But there's no way for that person to improve unless they are allowed to improve. And for that, they need a new environment. For that, they need someone to guide them, teach them, be patient, forbearant with them. So unless we bring down this barrier of entry, there really isn't a way for people to change. 
So those without adab will continue to live that way and this attitude and lifestyle will perpetuate. So Rasulullah didn't push people away who didn't fit the mold. Rather, the Prophet opened the doors for them. The Prophet was patient and forbearing with them. Sometimes in the classroom, you'll have a student who doesn't know the proper decorum for the classroom. Speaking out of line, using foul words, not profanity, but not the best words, may sometimes come off as challenging and disrespectful. But if the teacher is patient and softly guides them, patience doesn't mean that you enable them, because if you enable them, then there's no improvement. You're wasting your time, theirs, and possibly um, leaving a bad taste in the mouth of other students in the classroom. But they may think it's okay to do this, and they may start it as well. But you softly guide them and remind them that this is the way it should be. This is the proper way of doing things. Sharing with them examples of scholars of the past. Sharing with them examples of how the Prophet ﷺ's companions interacted with him. The Sahaba, they say that when we would sit with Rasulullah ﷺ, and if we were a group, no one would touch the food until the Prophet of Allah ate first. Simple other. So now, um, others have an opportunity to observe and learn from here. So, Hilmuhu wa waqaruhu. Hilm. Hilm, we translate as forbearance. Forbearance is interesting because the scholars point out that one of the differences between sabr and hilm, patience and forbearance. Sabr is when a person doesn't respond to something done to them or said to them while not having the ability in the first place. So there's some big guy who comes and pushes me and I walk away from there. I don't do anything, I don't respond. Well, that's natural because I never had the ability to hurt that person back. If I did, I would get hurt even more. They call that sabr. Hilm is when a person fully has the ability to take revenge. They can do whatever they want to. Someone in a lower position comes to you and says something foul, you can fire them, you can remove them, you can expel them, you can dismiss them. But then you are forbearing. No, I'm going to let this slide. The, um, the effect that Hilm has on others is profound. When people see that you have the ability to do something and you don't, that really shines outwards. And they see uh, the character that is in your heart. They see your sincerity. So he points out here, Hilmuhu wa waqaruhu, that the forbearance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa waqaruhu an tayshin yahuzuhu, uh, how Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam dealt with frivolous behavior, aw khuruqin yastafizuhu, or how people provoked the Prophet ﷺ through awkward or unskilled interactions. Rasulullah interacted with all sorts of people, including the Bedouins, and we've referenced this multiple times already, the harshness they had when they interacted with the Prophet of Allah. So Rasulullah did not respond back inappropriately. Nadira. Nadira means even offhand. Like not even one off. That the Nabi you would say that 99% of the time he was kind and 1% one time he snapped on someone. We don't have that either. Do you guys understand? Lam yujad minhu nadira. 
There wasn't even a one-off situation that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said something very mean or pushed someone out and said, get out of here, I'm not going to talk to you. And if Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did reprimand someone, it was always in context. If he did reprimand someone, it was in, it was in context. There was reason for this. Otherwise, it was not the habit of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, nadira kalimatun na nabiyatun kharijatun anil mu'tad. Kharijatun anil mu'tad, out of the norm. He did not do that. وَلَمْ يُحْفَظَ عَلَيْهِ بَادِرًا بَادِرًا لَمْ يُحْفَظَ عَلَيْهِ بَادِرًا And neither is there any record of Nabi Wasallam losing his temper. Badira is for a person to lose their temper. Hiddatul ghadab Getting very hot. That someone came and you know, did something to Rasulullah and he lost it. Just threw something against the wall or started shouting or became excessive. وَلَا حَلِيمَ غَيْرَهُ إِلَّا ذُو عَثْرَةٍ وَلَا وَقُورَ سِوَاهُ إِلَّا ذُو حَفْوَةٍ And there is not a forbearant person other than him, but they always slip up. Every forbearant person has a slip up. Someone can be forbearant and then you'll say, but man, one day I saw him lose it. I have examples like that of my own teachers. I would classify them as forbearant, but almost for all of them I can cite an example, at least one, where I saw them lose it. I saw Shaykh Abdul Nasser lose it once. He really lost it. We were somewhere and something happened. And coincidentally, I was there. And um, I saw Shaykh, and there was this very uncomfortable frustration in his eyes. So I had my arm around Shaykh Abdul Nasser and I pulled him aside and I said, let me handle the situation. There was a person that was being very disrespectful in the masjid. It was a very bad situation. Very bad situation. There was a lot of abuse involved and everything. So I pulled Shaykh aside and said, let me see if I can handle the situation. That is no stain or tarnish on his, uh, on his honor because we're all human beings, right? We all... But he says, وَلَا حَلِيمَ غَيْرَهُ إِلَّا ذُوَ عَثْرَةٍ Other than the Prophet of Allah. Because Nabi wasallam had no such slip-ups. وَلَا وَقُورَ سِوَاهُ إِلَّا ذُو حَفْوَةٍ And the same thing, there is no person with steady character other than him, but he also falls. Like for Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa that did not happen. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَىٰ عَسَمَهُ مِن نَزْغِ الْهَوَىٰ وَطَيْشُ الْقُدْرَةِ بِحَفْوَةٍ أَوْ عَثْرَةٍ لِيَكُونَ بِأُمَّتِهِ رَؤُوفًا وَعَلَى الْخَلْقِ عَطُوفًا Yes, go ahead, continue. In the face of crude behavior of the Bedouins, he never uttered a word to offend them. Every forbearing person falters, and every dignified person errs, but not Rasulullah Allah Ta'ala had most certainly safeguarded him from reckless desire and power, which could have resulted in mistakes and errors, so that he was, not, uh, so that he was most affectionate to his followers and most considerate to creation. The Quraysh attacked him in every way possible and tried to commit every possible... So now here comes the... Dalil. The claim was made. The claim was Nabi Wasallam was forbearant. He was patient, kind, tolerant. Now here comes the Dalil, the argument to prove it. Go ahead. Despite this, he was most patient with them and ignored them. Their transgressions were not committed only by the foolish and ignoble among them. Rather, they were committed by their in, in, uh, intelligent, intelligentsia and seniors. Everyone, the leaders and ignoble, had opposed him. However, so he points out two things about this interaction with Quraysh. For those of you that are not familiar, 
Before the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina Munawwara, the Quraysh for 13 years made the Prophet ﷺ's life very difficult. And he struggled in giving da'wah because they made it very hard. They, there was never an opportunity for them to close a road down, but they not only closed the road, they bombed the road. Like they went above and beyond. These guys made it very hard for Rasulullah and the Sahaba. Even if we were to share a few examples, it would require for the rest of the lecture to be dedicated just to that. Just even sharing a few examples of how difficult they made it for the Prophet Suffice to say, they were creative and they adopted every avenue to be a barrier for the Prophet of Allah, whether it was financially or emotionally harming him or you know taking advantage of his family or anything they could take advantage of they did to try to stop Rasulullah But Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa huwa sabooran alayhim wa mu'ridan anhum Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was patient and he turned away from their, uh, from their arrogance. Now one thing he points out, because if you recall we said Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was forbearant and I pointed out the difference between patience and forbearance. So now he says, وَمَا تَفَرَّدَ بِذَلِكَ سُفَهَاهُمْ دُونَ حُلَمَائِهِمْ وَلَا أَرَاضِرَهُمْ دُونَ عُظَمَائِهِمْ بَلْ تَمَاءَلَا عَلَيْهِ الْجِلَّةُ وَالدُّونَ That it wasn't as if only the leaders of Quraysh were abusing the Muslims. Even the people who were considered as the average normal people in the community, someone that may be viewed as you know, inferior to socially, to the Muslims and the Prophet ﷺ, like the average person, they were involved in this too. Everyone was involved. بَلْ تَمَاءَلَ عَلَيْهِ الْجِلَّةُ وَالدُّونَ الْجِلَّةُ وَالدُّونَ Meaning everyone came. Jillatu is ulama'uhum, their leaders. And duan is khasis al-faqir. That even the poor people who did not have social status opposed the Muslims. And jilla is the leaders of the Quraysh, they also opposed. And even though everyone came against him. فَكُلَّمَا كَانُوا عَلَيْهِ مِنِ الْأَمْرِ أَلَحَّ كَانَ عَنْهُمْ أَعْرَضَ وَأَصْفَحَ Nabi sallallahu was patient with all. He was forbearant and forgiving to all. Hatta qahara fa'afa wa qadara fa'afar. And there, this is beautiful because you'll find some people who are forbearant and patient with a group, but not forbearant and patient with another group. This is something that I've discussed with you guys before. You'll notice that at times a teacher is able to forgive um, students, some students in a class, but other students never get any forgiveness. Many of us have experiences like this from our middle school, high school, hopefully not in college or beyond that. But in the earlier years, it's unfortunately common that you notice when you're young. I think this might be one of the first exposures that many of us have to racism from our own teachers. That if the student is of a particular race, the teacher happens to be much more tolerant. But if the teacher, student is from not that race, then the teacher loses their tolerance. That you're Bengali, you're a horrible human being. Astaghfirullah. Right? Or you're black, you horrible human being. Astaghfirullah. So they lose their patience. Hopefully it's not racism, it's just negligence because racism would make it a lot worse considering if you're in an Islamic school or in a classroom that promotes the deen. That's the last place you would expect to see something like this. But the reality is what it is. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from that. As a mentor and teacher where you have the potential to build people you can easily snap them in half and break them as well. And these scars left on students or mentees, they don't wash away easily just as when you lift them and raise them, those memories don't wash away either. 
they're indebted to you for their life. That my father was an amazing person, my friend was an amazing person, my teacher was an amazing person. So you remember for the rest of your life how kind your teachers were, but it's not easy to forget abuses as well. Like, it's equal. Like the, the, the scars, unfortunately, stay. Continue. So when Nabi Sallallahu I was telling you guys, pre-migration, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was patient with him. Now in order, with the Quraysh, now in order to complete this analogy, he then says, So when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam pre-migration was interacting with him, he was forbearant and patient. But later on, as we know, in Fath Makkah, he was the one that overcame them. And at that point, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had the upper hand at the conquest of Makkah Mukarramah, where now, if you wish to say, the roles were reversed. Now Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was in the position of authority and can enact justice on them. Fa'afa, he pardoned them. Waqadara fa'afara, and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam forgave them. Yes. However, the more the more persistent they were, the more he ignored and overlooked their overlooked their opposition. In fact, when he gained the upper hand, he pardoned and forgave. When he was victorious over them on the occasion of the conquest of Mecca, and they had all assembled around him, he said, what is your opinion about me? They replied, you are the son of a noble uncle. If you pardon us, that is what we, that is what we think about you. If you exact revenge, we have certainly done wrong, uh, and you will be justified. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam at the conquest of Mecca, he asked them, ma dhannukum bi? What do you think of me? This question of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is beautiful because Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam pointed out to them in this question that the person you always knew me to be I am that same person. I was kind, loving, forbearant, forgiving when I was one of you and you oppressed me and I will be that same person today as well. You've always known me. Nothing has changed. If anything, love has only increased you know, mercy and compassion has only furthered itself along the way in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what do you think of me? What do you think? What do you know of me? Tell me of your knowledge. Then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You tell me what you know of me. As human beings, we know who we are. We know who others are. You can look at someone and if you've interacted with them even briefly, have an idea of what their potential is. That this person right here is going to flake that's who they are, they always flake. Or this person is steady and strong, they don't flake. This person always comes through. This is the person that day or night, this person is going to show up. So what have you always known of me? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked. So then they said, Ibn Ammin, uh, Ibn Ammin Kareem. That Ibn Ammin is, you're one of us. Right, you're from us. Kareem, honorable, noble. فَإِن تَعَفُوا if you choose to forgive, then that's what we had hoped of you. But if you choose to seek revenge, enact revenge, we are deserving of it. We've done our part. We've done wrong. So we are now ready to pay up. So Rasulullah said, I will say to you as Yusuf said to his brothers, and Yusuf alayhi salam's story is well known. 
his brothers did wrong to him, just as the Quraysh family did wrong to him. Because they also invoked relation, right? They said, Ibn Ammin Karim, that you are a relative. So Yusuf salam's own brothers did wrong to him. And the wrong they did sent Yusuf salam on a long journey of life. The same as Rasulullah a long journey. And then full circle, Yusuf salam is now in the position of authority and his brothers are in front of him and they are truly apologetic and shameful and reality has sunk in that they were wrong. So these people were also in the same place. And Rasulullah at that point said that I will say as my brother Yusuf did. What's beautiful here is how the story of Yusuf that was in the Quran revealed to the Prophet that he recited in Salah and the Sahaba heard from him and he memorized it and taught others this surah. It wasn't just a story. There was a lesson in there that Nabi took and he taught us what this lesson was in this great moment of his life. This is like one of those special moments. Now, I mean, full circle, it brings, sends a shiver down your spine. That where did Rasulullah start and where is he now conquering Makkah Mukarramah? And all the people who had done wrong to him, those who were alive and present were there. So Nabi could have done what he wanted to. And this patience that was shared in Surah Yusuf that Rasulullah enacted then continued. You see this in some of the greatest leaders of Islamic history that when they conquered cities, they would pardon the aggressors. It's common practice, by the way. It's not once, it's happened many times. The most notable probably that we know of, that people share the story of and they read about is Salahuddin Ayyubi, how he pardoned the people, that you're all welcome to go, minus a few who had done wrong. And this was also based off precedent because Rasulullah pardoned everyone in Mecca, but a few. There were a few people that Rasulullah refused to forgive. You guys know this? At Fath Makkah, there were a group of people that Rasulullah said, even if they're holding on to the Kaaba, they will be punished. They will not be, for, they will not be forgiven because they had committed grave crimes, which is it's a study of its own. Okay, so he said, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم يغفر الله لكم وهو أرحم الرحيمين وأتت هند هند بنت عتبة وقد بقرت بطن عمه حمزة ولاكت كبده فصفها عنها وبايعها and likewise uh, Hind bin Utba bint Utba the daughter of Utba uh, she was the wife of Abu Sufyan رضي الله عنه later on he becomes a Muslim as well. And Hind radiallahu anha at this point is coming to accept Islam. And she was the one that commissioned the kill of Hamza radiallahu anha and then mutilated his body and some narrations also um, dishonored his organs. So when she came, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also pardoned her and forgave her. Go ahead. Sixth attribute. So right here we learn one thing from that point five is that the teacher must be forbearant and not hold grudges. That, oh, five years ago you said this, or two years ago in class you did this, or one year ago one day you said this. You can't hold grudges, you can't be petty. If you're going to be petty, it won't work. 
And now we've been talking about teaching, and as you know, over the past classes I've kind of interchanged between being a mentor, parent, teacher, employer, because I feel these characteristics are universal. They, they work very well in all positions. As a parent as well, you can't be petty that 15 years ago you pushed me, or 10 years ago you disobeyed me, or five years ago you and your wife said this. You can't do that kind of stuff. Relationships will halt. And when someone knows that you're holding on to something from five years ago, what do you think in that moment they're going to think of you? If I tell Halima here, that five years ago you ate all the kunafa on campus, not that I wanted any cheese kunafa, but still. Let's say I said that you had all the kunafa and ablusi, all of it, you had it all, you didn't save any for us. In that moment, she'll probably think, that man, this guy's a Scrooge, what a petty human being. This is the type of guy that, you know, you have to be on your tippy toes around. I can't really have a relationship with this individual. How am I going to live if they're going to remember everything that happened last week, everything that happened the year before, and the five years before, and a decade before? You let it go. You let it pass by. Go ahead. Sixth attribute, upholding covenants and fulfilling promises. A student must be able to trust their teacher. It's a long relationship. This is something that may last for months and years, and they need to know that if I am told something, I will be respected and valued, and the person who promises me something will fulfill their promise. This is very important. Trust is one of the most important ingredients between two people to have a, that must exist for two people to have a healthy relationship. There must be trust there. And how you fulfill that trust is by ensuring that what you say, you follow through on it. So sometimes a parent will say to their child, if you get an A in your exam, I'll get you a go-kart. And then you get the A and dad's like, psych! I'm not buying you a go-kart. You kidding me? It's thousand dollars. I don't know, whatever it is, right? I'm not buying you that. Go buy yourself one. So, water under the bridge, everyone moves on. But it's very possible that child won't forget. At the back of their mind, they'll remember that they got their hopes up high and someone let them down. So Rasulullah never broke a promise. If he told someone that he would do something, he would follow through. The awesome thing about that was the people who were with Nabi were fully able to rely on everything he said. Every statement had value, which they now had the opportunity to yield benefit from. Every interaction had value, because there was nothing false there. It's not like there was an, a door that, on the other side there was just a wall there. It wasn't that, that wasn't the case. Every door had something behind it, because Nabi Wasallam didn't play with people. He didn't joke around with people, in the sense that he didn't you know, disrespect them. When Nabi Wasallam made a commitment or promise to something, he would always follow through. The interesting thing is, we have so many examples from the life of Rasulullah where the people that he went into agreement with betrayed him. But Nabi never betrayed. They would betray him. And the blessing was, he would remain content and stick to the agreement, but their betrayal would come back and bite them. It wouldn't harm the Muslims. Whether it's the situation of Banu Quraydah, for those of you that are familiar with Sirah, where they made an intention to betray the Muslims during the Battle of the Trenches, or whether it was the betrayal 
of the Quraysh of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, where they sided with one of their allied tribes to attack one of the allied tribes of the Muslims. So in all of those, in both instances, you would say that the opposition betrayed the contract and therefore they would harm the Muslims, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected them. Yes. For him, treachery was a major sin, and going back on one's word, a wicked trait. He would therefore endure the most trying conditions and bear the most difficult of trials if keeping his covenant and fulfilling his promises had demanded this of him. But when the other party broke the covenant, Allah Ta'ala provided a way out for him, as was the case with the Jewish tribes of Banu Qurayla and Banu Nadir, and the Quraysh during the peace treaty of Hudaybiyah. Allah Ta'ala had turned their betrayals to the advantage of Rasulullah So these are the six unique things about the character of Rasulullah that Imam Al-Mawardi points out. فَهَذِهِ سِتُّ خِصَالٍ تَكَامَنَتْ فِي خُلُقِهِ now he goes into the next discussion. Now we go into the next conversation. The uniqueness of the speech of Rasulullah. We talked about his person, we talked about his character. Now we enter into the words, the speech of Rasulullah. So he says, There are eight things to take into consideration. Eight things to reflect on that made the speech of Rasulullah amazing. فَأَتَى صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِمَا بَهَرَ الْعُقُولِ وَأَظْهَرَ الْفِطَلِ أَظْهَرَ To surprise, almost shock. The intelligence of people. مِنْ إِتْقَانِ مَا أَبَانَا وَإِحْكَامِ مَا أَظْهَرَ فَلَمْ يَعْفُرْ فِيهِ بِزَلَلٍ فِي قَوْلٍ أَوْ عَمَلٍ So the first thing that he points out is Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we're talking about speech here, okay? His wisdom. His words were carefully crafted. When he spoke, it was full of wisdom and knowledge. The point to reflect on here is that this wisdom and knowledge was not something he learned from another human being. It was divine. It was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَهُوَ أُمِّيٌّ مِنْ أُمَّةٍ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself was unlettered. And he was from a people that were also unlettered. لَمْ يَقْرَأْ كِتَابًا وَلَا دَرَسَ عِلْمًا Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa did not have a teacher. He didn't read a book. So when a person doesn't read a book or if they don't have a teacher, if they weren't a student themselves, then you would ask, where did it come from? Like Zakariya asking Maryam Maryam where did this fruit come from? Because there was no apparent cause for this fruit to exist. Someone goes to a top university, or maybe they've had a wise individual, a part of their life, who, who endowed them with wisdom and intelligence, you can say, okay, that kind of makes sense, I see the transition. But then you see someone who didn't have anything that was working in their favor, and yet they have it all. So this begs the question, where did this come from? And Rasulullah being described as Al-Rasul Al-Ummi in Revelation. Nabi identifying himself as Rasul Al-Ummi. When I was young, and I was told that one of the awsaf, one of the traits of Nabi is that one of the characteristics is that he is described as Rasul Al-Ummi, the unlettered prophet. When I was a kid, I thought, that doesn't sound like, that, that sounds like a self-burn. 
Astaghfirullah. I didn't get it. I didn't understand how this was any praise. I thought it was very awkward that Muslims were taking pride in saying that the Prophet ﷺ couldn't read or write. But then as you continue to read Sirah and Hadith open up in front of you, you realize that is phenomenal. That is amazing. Because even though Rasulullah, because reading and writing are asbab to gain ilm. They are tools to get knowledge. For 99% of us, we need it because where, how else do we gain knowledge? But for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created a sabab, a means for knowledge that was beyond the means that everyone else was using. So if everyone else was driving cars, like this person was on a carpet that was flying. Like it's a whole different world. It's a whole, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created different asbab. And the more you think about this, you realize this is actually common with all Anbiya alayhi that everyone is on one track of life where they are following certain asbab and means to reach their end goal. But for the friends of Allah and for the Anbiya salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a whole new set of means. And this was a gift for their patience and the tasks that they were handed uh, for their nubuwa, And also a result of their tawakkul, their reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's one reflection. The other thing that you see that makes this uh, so amazing that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a Nabi al-Ummi is that no one could accuse Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of plagiarism. Otherwise, if you were to read a paper written by a college student, there is a high probability that some of it was taken from Google, control C, control V. They have software these days to detect that, so you won't get too far. When I was reading, um, uh, there are certain books that you can read that focus on Orientalist objections against Sirah and the Prophet There are scholars who put a lot of effort into responding to those objections too. There are multiple books like this. One of them, um, I recall reading in it, that one of the objections the Orientalists made against the Prophet ﷺ is they say, because it's unfathomable. Where did all this knowledge come from? Where did all this knowledge come from? So their claim is that Rasulullah ﷺ plagiarized it. So then you say, okay, who did he plagiarize it from? So they say that Rasulullah ﷺ, I'm astaghfirullah, this is all garbage that these, these people spew. But the claim is that he went to Syria and he met a priest there and he drugged him and stole his scripture and stole his uh, scrolls and then he plagiarized from there. This whole thing is such a massive lie. Such a massive lie. There's, it's not even possible. How many times did Rasulullah actually go to Sham in his life? Three times. Two of them when he was young and both of those he was with a group of people, whether one was a trade trip on behalf of Khadija radiallahu or a whole caravan is with him. And the earlier one was with his uncle and he didn't even go all the way, he returned halfway through and the whole caravan, the whole trade caravan was there again. And the third time was on the night of Isra al-Mi'raj that Rasulullah miraculously went to Sham in the company of Jibreel alayhi and on top of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَلَوْ تَقَوَّلَ عَلَيْنَا بَعْضَ الْأَقَاوِيلِ لَا خَذْنَا مِنْهُ بِالْأَمِينَ That there's no fabricating or plagiarizing in the deen. 
that Rasulullah is copying, that he's cheating as if, you know, this is some person taking an exam that didn't prepare and now they're just freaking out and like, let me peek over and see what that guy wrote, so I'll write the same thing. The Prophet he received um, this ilm. نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ بِلِسَانٍ عَرَبِيٍ مُبِينَ That this knowledge came through Jibreel Straight to the heart of Rasulullah So the ilm and wisdom the Prophet had was the most pure. You know how people talk about pure honey and pure milk and they talk about pure scent, pure fabric. This was his ilm, pure. Unadulterated. There was nothing in there. Just that's it. Just pure. So now, when people heard this knowledge of Rasulullah when someone presents such pure knowledge, all other forms of knowledge then fall into prostration. So, everything falls. There's no argument anymore. So now you have the Arab poets who say that we know poetry and this is no poetry. And great thinkers of the time, when they heard Rasulullah they understood that where he was speaking from was a place of revelation. And we covered the story of Abdullah bin Salam already. Yes, go ahead. First century. He was bestowed with absolute wisdom and absolute knowledge in spite of the fact that he was unlettered and had belonged to an unlettered nation. He never read a book, studied any branch of knowledge, nor remained in the company of a scholar or a teacher. Yet Rasulullah mentioned such things uh, which astounded minds and baffled intellects. This is important again. I have to say this. Sometimes, you know, shaitani wasabis come into mind. Someone like these people, they claim all sorts of garbage about Islam and the Prophet. There are people. And they say things like, oh, they try to build an analogy that, you know, these prophets were all just pseudo-intellects that always had rough and weird ideas. So then one day they just formalized them and turned them into religion. As if this was someone released from some, uh, some asylum. That's not the case. It's not as if pr- prior to Revelation, uh, Rasulullah was talking about ahkam. Or prior to Revelation, Nabi Sallallahu walked around Medina Munawwara, Makkah, Mukarramah for 40 years talking about an idea of Jannah and Jahannam. You guys understand? There was none of that. He was a person from the community living his life, being a, being a good father, a good husband, providing for his family, a good contributor to society. Revelation comes and the switch is on now. Now ilm is coming. And as that ilm is coming, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is he's, he's sharing that with everyone. Yes. Because you have a lot of that too, by the way. That first group of people exist. There are these people who are, you know, they're not fully there. And they have all sorts of weird ideas and then they claim prophethood. We have a lot of examples, a lot of mutanabis who claim prophethood and claim to be messiahs and claim this and claim that. But they've always been on some, some weird loop. With Anbiya salam, that's not the case. Yes. He was proficient in, in explanation and confident in word. He never erred in his speech or actions. This again was solely due to the purity of his being and the flawlessness of his nature. Second attribute, memorizing whatever Allah... Purity of his being, yeah. وَمَا هَذِهِ الْفِطْرَةِ 
وما هذه الفطرة في الرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إلا من صفاء جوهره. This was the purity of his. Jawhar is like the essence of a person. How pure he was. وخلوص مخبره. Yes. Second attribute. Memorizing whatever Allah Ta'ala informed him, whether it was the stories of the Prophets and their nations. So the first one was knowledge and wisdom. The second one, one second, the online stream went out. Zoya, can you check if the streams are working? Yeah. It's saying here they paused. Both of them are working? Even the Facebook one? Okay. Okay, so the, the first one was the knowledge of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his wisdom. The second one here, if I would, if I could summarize it, oops, kick me out. One second. Let's try again. I think the internet is right down. You might need to message Hannah to let me back in. Okay, let's continue. So if the first point was the wisdom and knowledge of Rasulullah the second point we can say was the integrity and authenticity of what he said. And what that meant is, what that means is that whatever knowledge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Rasulullah the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed the Prophet of Allah with, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam accurately preserved it. So he wasn't giving a summary of it or giving a vague idea of what was said. Word by word, harf by harf, Qur'an was delivered. What makes this amazing is, and again, this is all divine. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا جَمْعَهُ وَقُرْآنَ That we take the responsibility of preserving the Qur'an in your heart, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That the Prophet ﷺ was able to preserve it without any video, audio recordings that he referenced back to or some notepad that he had or a computer laptop that he took notes on. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed for the knowledge to stay firm in his heart. That we will take the responsibility of preserving that revelation in your heart and we will allow you to understand it as well, what this revelation is. So, O Messenger of Allah, You don't have to rush and hurry in preserving it. To stay calm, be present in the moment, and absorb it. We will do the rest. Go ahead. Consequently, he never forgot any story, nor did he omit the minutest detail of any incident. This was despite the fact that he وسلم, never memorized or safeguarded any information through books. Rather, he succeeded uh, because of a sound mind, expansive chest, and spacious heart. Three things that he points out. He points out the dhihn, sadr, and qalb. 
that on one side, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, dhihn sahih, had a sound mind. Then he had sadr fasih, a broad chest. Broad chest here is basically having the ability to deal with a lot without crumbling. You know, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had appetite. وَقَلْبٍ uh, sharih. And these three things together are the tools that are required for knowledge to exist. That on one side, you need to be able to use your intellect. On the other side, you need to have that appetite and the forbearance, the patience to deal with the challenge that lies ahead. And then you need a pure heart. When you have these three things together, knowledge is yours. Go ahead. These three instruments are fundamental to prophethood. And he was was therefore most suitable and worthy to be com to be commissioned as a prophet. Third attribute, his ability to, to provide the most convincing of proofs for the laws he enacted. Knowledge, integrity, and preservation. The third thing, Nabi وسلم, with every statement appealed to the rationality of people. He ensured that people understood that what, what understood what he was saying. So if someone came to the Prophet ﷺ with an argument, Rasulullah ﷺ always responded to that person in a way that was sufficient, that it satisfied that person's hunger. Now that's a whole separate issue that some people, they choose to not be satisfied, that's their problem because they've turned their cup upside down. As for Nabi ﷺ, he wasn't copying out. You can read the, the corpus of hadith and you'll find that People ask Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa questions and you don't find Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa just copying out that I'm not going to answer you. That wasn't the case. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa didn't answer someone's question, it was usually a result of a lesson that he was teaching them. Something that he was trying to get them to understand. The, the example that easily comes to mind is the Bedouin asking the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when is the day of judgment? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa didn't answer that question. But he, in return, asked another question. Getting that person to think, what have you prepared for it? Yes. His ability to provide the most convincing of proofs for the laws he enacted and to explain matters with exceptional clarity to the extent that anything which, he, which, logically, with, which logic demanded was never left out and anything which the intellect repulsed was never included. This is what Rasulullah said. In reality, the entire deen is consistent with human logic, human reason. This is another issue that sometimes our reason is skewed due to external influences. But sound reason and revelation go hand in hand. This is the position of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. This is the position of the Ashaira and Maturidiyah. That the reason of a person and revelation always coincide. Wahi and Aql go together. If a point comes that a person's aql can't comprehend revelation, we don't throw revelation out though. That's the Mu'tazili way. The Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah always stand by revelation. But we believe that there is no part of revelation that cannot be conceived by the intellect. That there's always a reason behind it that can be understood. It just requires a little bit of a deep dive. It requires commitment. It requires dua. And for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open the heart. Read the works of uh, Fakhruddin al-Razi. Read the works of uh, Imam Ghazali. I think Fakhruddin al-Razi's tafsir is just nothing, it's just pure genius. The whole thing is. For every ayah, for every argument, for every objection that's made, he not only answers them, 
but he gives an answer that your heart is satisfied with. Sometimes, and he, what he does is, what Fakhruddin al-Razi does in his tafsir that's beautiful, is that when he presents the opinion of the one presenting the objection, he doesn't just in passing mention their objection, he details out their objection. So if there is a person that says that we do not believe in um, intercession on the Day of Judgment, a famous uh, claim made by uh, the Mu'tazila, that we don't believe in Shafa'ah. So he won't just mention that and then provide proofs for Shafa'ah, for intercession on the Day of Judgment. He argues on their behalf and says, this is an argument, that's an argument, this is an argument. And there are moments where you begin to believe, you begin to think, who's this guy batting for? Is he on Team Jubai or what? Why is he presenting so many arguments? And it's, it's convincing. But then after he's done presenting all their arguments, what does he then do? He then destroys all the arguments, one by one by one. And then you feel like, oh, that's Razi back. Razi's back in. Razi's in the house. Fakhruddin al-Razi, rahimahullah ta'ala, rahmatullah wasiyah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate his maqam and shower immense nur on his grave. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لَمْ يَخْرُجْ عَنْهُ مَا يُجِبُهُ مَعْقُولُ وَلَا دَخَلَ فِيهِ مَا تَدْفَعُهُ الْعُقُولُ Everything was consistent. وَلِذَلِكَ قَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أُوْتِيتُ جَوَامِعَ الْكَلِمْ Therefore Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I was gifted, I was given concise speech. وَاخْتُصِرَ لِلْكَلَامُ اِخْتِصَارًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me brief speech. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't need pages and chapters, books to explain what he was saying. What he explained and what he said was very brief. Yet the answer was there. And that's what made it amazing. That Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would respond in very few words. How did Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam have this concise speech? Where did this eloquence come from? Where was um, this all, what's the source of this? So in reality, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mu'an. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the one that was assisting him. Illa wa huwa alayhi mu'an. Allah azawajal was inspiring him and helping him. Wa ilayhi muqad. And he was guided there by Allah azawajal. So this is the third point. With that, we'll conclude here. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts and grants us tawfiq to the amal upon what we learn. And that Allah azawajal allows us to also benefit from these examples. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with knowledge and wisdom. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also bless us with speech that is convincing, that is strong, and that is full of meaning. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also bless us with integrity in our speech that what we say is is sound and it's authentic. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.